Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Jason Maletsky. And I'm Melanie Curtis. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust, trusting the entire journey. If you want to find us on the internet, our handle is trustthejourney.today. That'll get you to our website. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook and Patreon. If you want to find us on Patreon, you can click on the bottom of our webpage and trustthejourney.today. There's an orange button and down there it says donate. And if you donate on the Patreon group, what's going to happen is you're going to be included in our Trust the Journey family. And this is a wonderful group of humans who support each other feverently every single day in all of their shares and in humanity and in just being on this ride and on this journey together. It's just an awesome group. We just had another new member join us yesterday. So welcome. And here we go. Yes. Right on, family. Thank you guys so much for being with us. We really, really appreciate you. So cool. Right on. So in this episode, we're talking about mindfulness. We're going to touch on what this means to us, what we've learned on the subject and the practice, and hopefully leave you with some practices that you can try for yourself. And as always, wherever the conversation may take us. <laughs> and I sort of want to give it to you straight away, Jay, because you had suggested this topic and I want to give you the opportunity to to start. Well, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because it's something I've been practicing a lot for a long time. and But lately, more and more and more so to the point where it's something I'm trying to practice all the time. And the concept is something that, you know, I think all of us have heard the term at one point or another, mindfulness. We all have our ideas of, of what it means to each of us. What What is this word supposed to mean, mindfulness? And in its most simple form, it means awareness, you know? It means to be conscious of ourselves. It means to have the own our a presence to our own thoughts to be present aware of what our thoughts are doing when we're not actively choosing our thoughts when our thoughts are just occurring and this is a very it's a very tricky place because there seems to be two parts of ourselves most of the time, what I've noticed anyways, is that there's the part that's conscious of the thoughts that we're making and conscious of the actions and the choices that's, that are happening. And then there's the part of us that just starts doing things and starts thinking things or reacting to things. And it is not a conscious decision. It's just a, a more of an automatic me kind of function. And it's um, the practice of mindfulness is per se the taking of these two halves of self, the one that's really aware of what I'm doing and the one that's completely unaware of what I'm doing and kind of meshing it all together to bring it all into one being so that we're always aware of everything that we're doing, whether it's from the side of us that requires conscious thinking and action and thought or whether it's from the side of us that 
actions and thinks automatically, but always being present to that. I think it's a, it's a wonderful practice. Yeah, it's it's a funny practice. Interest. It's interesting, funny, strange, curious, confusing. I feel like there's loads of different ways we could describe mindfulness in the sense for like the person who's just being introduced to the concept. Even if I think about it in terms of mindset and we talk about thoughts because I know I mentioned the other day about doing the Sam Harris waking up app. And one of the things I like about his stuff and what he describes is this idea of having a cloud of sensation, which theoretically is not a thought. So that distinction has been powerful and useful for me in terms of being in my physical, like uh, like feeling my physical body and, and sort of mm, like moving my mind or feeling like I can experience beyond my physical self, which is sort of weird. And I'm definitely not by any means, quote unquote, good at that. But I feel like that is a distinct difference between that and the thoughts part, which if I think about it from the perspective of the life coaching work that I do and the initial mindset work that I tend to do with people, that is partly, I think, what you're talking about in terms of beginning to recognize and find a way, find a practice into the blind spots of our beliefs that have been patterned through our human life, you know, through our life from childhood or whatever. Like we've talked about this before and starting to recognize when those things come up and drive our actions versus what is automatically just a humanity thing. You know what I mean? The core wiring of how we function versus beliefs that have been layered upon that and then are hiding in the blind spots because they become autopilot. I feel like those are also, they're distinguished. And I think you're pointing to that. Yeah, I, I also pick up that there's a distinct separation within the concept of mindfulness between um, thoughts per se, especially thoughts that are not conscious thoughts that you're not like, I think it's non-logical per se. They're just thoughts that are just occurring, but also actions that are just occurring. Um, so our being inside of our body is a great um, reference point. Have you ever been sitting there and you're just chilling or whatever and your hand twitches? Yes. You have a, you know, a, a muscle moves, something moves and you didn't send a signal there and say, Hey, I want to twitch my hand because there's a fly on it or something. You just have a, your body just moves. And there's this really odd feeling of detachment from yourself when part of your body moves without you consciously choosing to move it. And so there's a similar sense to, to that, like where mindfulness first started occurring in my life was in relationship to control of my body. So what I mean by that is things like yoga, right? Which is a great example of a mindfulness practice where the intention of yoga is to move your body in smooth, flowing, controlled, thoughtful ways with an alignment to the rate of your breathing to the movements that you're making, right? Like that's the basic core premise of yoga is to, to breathe at a smooth in and 
out exhalation rate that aligns with the movements that you're making with your body. And in that, the concept is that the mind should remain quiet, that the body should be leading the awareness of self. And that's on my own interpretation on the concept of Yoda is that the body is actually the forefront of what of thought. And I found it a wonderful way to step into this um, realm of mindfulness as the body's very physical, it's very present, and you can, I mean, you are it, it is you, it is us, right? So the concept of being able to see and feel and touch and experience through the experience of the body provides so much sensory feedback that I really enjoyed it as a, I can identify with it right away. I'm like, oh, I get this. I, I'm, I'm supposed to be aware of the movements that I'm making. And in that own, in that process of practicing awareness of my movements or the rate that I'm moving, the, you know, the smoothness of my movement or the jerkiness of my movement or whatever measurement you want to give the movement is I have a relationship to my own experience of life. Right, so it's a concept of how am I ex experiencing life? Am I doing so smoothly and with a nice pace, or am I doing so jerky and rough, or am I even aware of how I'm doing so? And so, here's one of my daily practices of mindfulness that has come from yoga, as well as my mother poking at me. Step straight. <laughs> Sit straight. Have a good posture. That's, that's a daily mindfulness practice. To give a most simple version of how to be mindful is to be aware of what I'm doing with my body on an all-the-time basis. So if I slouch and lean forward all the time, I'm losing the awareness of mindfulness of what's happening with my physical being. And if I sit up and maintain good posture, my awareness of mindfulness is in place and I'm able to have this little note of presence to an unconscious part of being that very often exists. And it's the simplest form of just sitting here. You know, just sitting here doesn't require thinking. It doesn't require me to be aware that I'm sitting here. But in the context of mindfulness, it does require an awareness. There's an awareness to say, oh, I'm actually a little twisted and I'm not quite aligned and one foot's off the floor and the other one's a little bit there we go. So now I'm a little straighter and I've got better posture. And overall, my alignment of being is better. And the physical being and the spiritual being, well, this is the same thing. We're all interconnected. So in maintaining a presence to one part of myself, I create a presence to another part of myself. I get the mind, the body, and the spirit all start working in alignment. And there lies the greater goal of yoga. Cool. Interestingly, I was talking with someone yesterday about yoga and sharing how it's never really called to me. And I've done it. I've done some yoga, but definitely have never participated in a, a yoga practice. Um, funny, while you were talking and you were mentioning, okay, being in the body and having that as a way to practice mindfulness. And as you were talking, I was thinking of stuff that I do and I was hearing you and just, you know, doing what I do as I take in what you're sharing, being mindful, by the way, of what's happening in my brain. 
But what came up was first this idea of like a walking meditation, how it's okay, physical movement. I do that where I'm, I intentionally am feeling my feet on the pavement and being extra mindful, quote unquote, extra practicing of presence in that particular walk. But then what you talked about or you mentioned was how the body can lead the thoughts. And I think interestingly when, and I don't know if this is for everybody, I don't know how people really think of mindfulness. I do think there could be uh, like a, a um, what's how am I trying to say this? Like um, a f- sense of control, right? Where there's this idea of if we're being mindful, we're sort of in control of our presence, our thoughts, or whatever that we're focused on. And the interesting part is that in improv comedy, so that's one of the things I'm doing now, which I really like, and it's really fun. It requires so much presence, and it requires so much mindfulness, and it requires also surrender, which I actually feel like is a key component to actually being mindful, as opposed to quote, trying to be mindful. That's been my experience. If I'm trying too hard to be mindful and to pay attention, then I tend to block certain things. And one of the exercises in improv that they help, that they have us do that has, helps people surrender and allow the body to lead and to clear the mind of thought is we will start moving around the space and we'll feel a movement that just like, oh, that's sort of a weird movement. But then we like lean into that movement, even however weird or normal or whatever it is, but whatever kind of movement calls to us, we'll exaggerate that. And then a character will be born from that movement. And so I love that exercise in the sense of it really requires surrender. It requires you to go into an experience without an idea and allow it to be born from the movement, which I think is just really cool. And I think probably that's what happens when we have those inspired thoughts when we go on a walking meditation or we are in yoga and we have an insight come to us. That value of mindfulness has been really obvious. When I lived in Vermont, I did that all the time. I would go for walks in the woods a lot. And the, and I always got really like interesting and positive insights once I was out in nature and being in that movement, sort of movement meditation. Very nice. That was very insightful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it's, just, I, it's cool. I mean, I'm grateful for my, my improv teaching uh, teacher you know, for just leading us as the newbies that we are through this this new experience. And it's, as we've mentioned before, how cool it is to see so many of these core concepts and tenets and premises of practice and presence and connection and community and creativity and all the things, yada, 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 that show up in so many different areas, no matter how vastly different the activities are. What I heard you say uh, was when you used the word surrender, what I heard you say was the word flow. By letting go of the context of control and just following the energy in the space 
and moving within the space and letting things arise that arise and not attaching to them and just observing them and just being present to it and not just there. I heard flow as a experience of something that I'm very familiar with. I understand what that experience of surrender is like, where it's really about letting go of this control aspect and just recognizing the freedom that exists within that space and the the natural creativity that exists within all of us just rises to the surface and it's just like another part of self takes over and takes the wheel and it's in a very unique way where when that part of us takes control the part of us that usually is in control can sit back and can just be the observer which is kind of a role switch within our own being and when that happens, it's a very pleasant experience because as we allow ourselves to become the observer with our forward mind and put that into the back seat, and we allow our subconscious to become our forward mind and to take the wheel and control what's happening in our lives, there's an ease. There's just a wonderful ease of being that takes over, that just kind of washes over us as a whole. I was going to say person, but I don't even like feel like person's the right word. I feel like as a whole being, as a whole soul, that when that's when our subconscious is allowed to drive, we can just enjoy and know that everything's fine. When that flow is happening, it's perfect. It's great. And I think that's really the goal in the practice of mindfulness is to allow our subconscious to take the wheel and be in charge and to get our conscious thinking mind, our analytical mind, to be listening for a change and to be the observer and to be quiet and to observe the performance of our subconscious so that we can learn from it, so that we can learn because our subconscious is so powerful and so vastly knowledgeable and already knows everything like how to breathe, right? Right. Our subconscious does all the things for us, like breathing and beating our heart, and <laughs> monitoring our body temperature, and making sure that all of our body gets all the things that it needs to survive. Like all the stuff that's automatically happening in our lives every single day, that's being managed by the part of us that doesn't do the thinking, right? We don't have to think to breathe, but when you turn around and spend time thinking about how you're breathing, then all of a sudden we can change our relative um, position to which part controls us our, ourselves. It's so fun. I love that. That is a, a quote goal of this type of practice I think is super valuable. The idea of giving the analytical, logical, controlled brain a rest. And in that, it, I got yeah, to go interrupt ahead. you because it, as much it's it's like, not so much giving that forward part of our mind a rest. It's like, hey, you've been in charge too much. Let's just step <laughs> down a little bit. Right. You know, because the reality is we have three parts to ourselves, you know, the mind, the body, the soul, that kind of context. And the part of us that generally runs around driving the, 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 the I that I am or the we that we are, you know, there's, a, there's an ego in there. And that part of us needs to be told sometimes, hey, you're not always in charge. 
You mm-hmm. really do need to yes. give the other parts of myself or ourselves equal and fair share turns at controlling who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And really, that's like that's great. I feel like a, a balanced person, somebody who's given that ego part of self enough of a talking to for that to be kept in check and allows a room for the other parts of self to step forward and to make decisions based on um, spirituality, like the soulful decisions based on heart, right? And also make decision based on feel of just what feels good and what doesn't feel good and allowing those choices to be the drivers and to keep in that ego piece of self you know, present for when it needs to be there because our ego is such a valuable part of our being, but at the same time, it needs to be kept in relative position to the other parts of our, our whole self. And that's most obvious to me with the relativeness of how we interact with others. So self-awareness or mindfulness as a practice is, can easily be observed as how does our do our own actions affect those around us and are we conscious to how our actions are affecting those around us right it's a I, that one i'm gonna put that out there and just <laughs> yeah i mean this complexity of situational mindfulness is a whole different animal, I would say, versus the individual practice of mindfulness. There's so much to look at and unpack and and balance in terms of what we would have, you know, want to look at there. You know what I mean? Because you've got the don't care what people think, you got care about other people's feelings, you got level of relationship, you have goal in the situation, you have interplaying dynamics. So there's loads of things that, so I, in terms of what's a right or wrong way or how to do that, I feel like it is very situational. And so it's a, that to me has been a very long-term practice of being with people, learning with and being in engagement in social situations. Right. So, you know how I go to the example of how some people hate networking, quote, classic networking. We've talked about this a long time ago. It's this sort of really basic thing where people in business and people who whatever want to be social. There's this this social experience that they have. And some people really hate that. And I certainly can attest to having social anxiety experiences myself, too, even though I really tend to enjoy social experiences. Jay's raising his hand. So I'm not devoid of that social anxiety. What I can say, though, is in having just so many experiences with being in social settings and being in engage and reading the, the situations, reading the just what's happening, who's there, that that complexity of interplay, I feel like requires a lot of quote practice, just as mindfulness individually does as well. So this idea of, oh, I want to feel more at ease in a social setting, I really feel like it's the same as a lot of other things in terms of overcoming fear is doing it and earning the evidence that you don't die. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a good practice. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's, I, I just feel like there's, we, in those situations, bringing mindfulness and consciousness to our core values, our integrity, our actual goals, individual and separate from the responses of others, those that type of mindfulness going into social settings can really help you feel more at ease because then it's not about how people react to you. It's not about an outcome you can't control. It's rather about your conscious present awareness to who you want to be and how then you show up as that person in that experience regardless of what occurs. So that all of this, I in my experience, takes experience, takes practice. Absolutely. The um, what you were just touching on there with um the the words you were uh, choosing who you want to be, um, it it just made me it resonated with me a little bit on my own journey about the times when I've been really present to myself about what's where my values are and where I find the most um, like energetic alignment with the choices I'm making in my life and when um, I haven't been that you know being on either side of that coin and really feeling I know we've all had times in our lives where we've really felt like we're on our path you know it feels like we're we're we've got the trail you know if you're out for a hike and you've lost the trail and you're trying to find the trail you, you know it it's so obvious right like i'm not on the trail right now i don't know where the trail <laughs> is i have to look for the trail and we're that's that's mindfulness right is when you know that you're not on the trail you're like oh i meandered off the path and now it's ambiguous that I could be going in any direction, but I'm not really clear where I'm going, but I'm going somewhere unless I stand here and even standing here going nowhere is going nowhere. So that's also somewhere. And so this context of knowing that you're on your path or knowing that you're not on your path, the knowing part, that's mindfulness rather than just continuing to walk on whatever direction you're going in, whether you're aware that you're on the path or unaware that you're on the path, that's like the lack of mindfulness. Yeah. And as an analogy, right? Yeah, yeah. And and the term self-awareness is, I feel like, interchangeable in this part of the conversation, having this idea of self-awareness. And again, not saying that that can't change, but that awareness of this is who I'm being right now. And then leaning into the questioning of why can lead us to increased awareness and increased like expansion of mindfulness of what our mindsets are that are driving us what might have been working for us a, for a while and maybe now we've grown as a person and we'd like to change that particular driving value you know that's the sort of the nature of being a younger person growing, you know, I'm not the same person I was at 21 as I am at 41. You know what I mean? So it's like my, we've mentioned this before too, this idea that, yeah, of course we grow and evolve, 
without mindful reflection of our thoughts, of our values, of our actions, of the things that we're choosing, whether it's automatically or not, reflecting and really bringing mindfulness and self-awareness to that is super critical if we don't want to end up on a path, an autopilot path, that whether it's systemic ideas, like, oh, you go to college, you get a job, you work at it for 40 years, and then you retire, right? That's a great an example of an idea that we can bring mindfulness to and go, is this right for me? Sometimes it's totally right for you. Other people, it's not right for them. You know, so like that's totally something that can just be there unconsciously without reflection. We'll find ourselves down at the end of that path going, fuck, I never checked. Get that. Yeah. It's something that always is always happening, right? So you, what did you say it was, you know, when you're 20 or when you're 40, you're not the same person. And the reality is, is, that yesterday I'm not the same person as I am today and tomorrow I won't be the same person that I am today. Uh, for all of us, you know, we, we won't be the same person every single day. We change throughout the day. Those are always powerful days, eh? The ones where you actually have something impactful happen through in the middle of the day so you know you're not the same person as you were when you went to bed. Yep. That's, pre that's pretty neat ones. I was having this awesome conversation. I spent some time with a good friend of mine's kids this last weekend. And they're just wonderful kids. And, you know, kids are so insightful. They have so much to offer when it comes to mindfulness because the, the child mind is just such a beautiful thing. It's so free to choose to observe things from perspectives that we so limit ourselves from as adults because we put up all these trained behaviors around the ways that we are are and are not allowed to think right our culture our society our practices our religions our everything they it it puts up these clear lines you can think in this way and you can think in this way and then everything outside of those directions of thought is is not acceptable or it's not the norm, it's not the way that we do things, whatever way you want to describe it. And it was so great to have these little exchanges with these kids because I really gained such powerful insights through their their minds. And one of the things that came up that was I thought was really cool was listening to a 13-year-old feel um, lack of motivation because school's boring right because he's got it he's a super smart kid right he's 13 he could probably be doing work of a 17 or 18 year old kid right because he's super smart and school's just not cutting it for him he doesn't want to go because he's not learning anything you know and i totally relate to this experience and i'm, I'm i bet almost every single person listening to this podcast could relate to that experience at one time or another when you're sitting there in the classroom going what how the hell am I doing here? This is just so boring. I could be doing something interesting, like playing with something that I really find interesting or doing this thing, practicing my instrument or playing with my computer or something where I'd actually be challenged. And, and I guess I just wanted to share this because through our conversation, we pull up this insight of what's really, what it really comes down to is what do I want to be doing? Like the real why is wanting to be in a state of mindfulness where the awareness is in place that what I'm doing is 
involves two elements. It involves discovery and creativity, right? And so when we're working in a place within ourselves, whatever it is that we're doing, where we're learning new things, right? And new things in, in learning can be framed up a few ways. And this is where our conversation went. There's the learning of things that we already know. So the example would be like learning a language, right? The language is written. It has all the framework that holds it up. It has all the alphabet, it has all the words, it has all the grammar and all the punctuation and everything that works in that, in that language. But that language isn't being created in this moment. It's something that's already exists and we're uptaking known information, right? And so that kind of learning is like book learning, right? You have to study something that, that already it's a fact. So there's no discovery or not, there's no true discovery or creativity happening in that type of learning. And that type of learning can get so just nauseatingly boring for, for a kid who wants to be discovering or creating something that is new, right? But we have to have this process of taking in all the framework, so the alphabet, the punctuation, the words, all the things that make up the language in order to have that tool set, that skill set, to then be able to apply it to the areas where we're actually going to create new ideas and discover things that have never been discovered and move into that creative space of, of being an artist, of being a, a creator. And that's where the real magic happens, right? In that, in that wonderful place of like, let's figure something out that's never been figured out before. And now I bring this all back around to mindfulness is the practice of learning that nauseating skill of book reading and studying to get all the information may be arduous at the time, but we choose to maintain this practice just like we choose to do the work of mindfulness of like, oh, I gotta like, why do I have to be present to my own thoughts? Why do I have to think about my own posture? Why do I have to think, you know, why do I even have to think about what I'm thinking about? You know, all this kind of <laughs> right. thing. It's the same relative experience of having to uptake a bunch of book learning in order to then be able to have the learned skill within us that's that's natural. It's like now I can speak the language. I did the work. I can speak the language. Now that I can speak the language, I can start to interact with other other people or other writings or other learnings. And I can start to apply that. When you can start to apply it, now you can move into the state of it actually working for you and being an asset. And all of a sudden there's all this realm that opens up all around us that we're completely unaware of until that has been become part of us yeah. when it's natural, when it's default, you know, then all of a sudden this is just like this whole other level of existence is there. You're like, Oh, wow. You know, it's a complete change of who we are because we now learn that other a way to think and feel and act and, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's that's so true. I've said that in skydiving for a long time. I used yeah. to joke about, and I'd say this just as a joke, but in truth too, is it's fun to be good. And I would joke about that because the, it's not like, oh, it's we're good. It's not that. It's because so much fun 
is available to us when we have the skills that keep us safe and able to participate in the expanded just opportunities and cool things available in the sport of skydiving. That's a real micro example, but it's so true when it comes to that idea of skill. When you talk about mindfulness and in a way, the practice of mindfulness for me could also be described as almost an automatic and instantaneous reflection on emotional charge or decision-making or just that type of uh, response or reaction to because I think of that and I go, okay, mindfulness really helps me in relationship, period, in teamwork, because when I have emotional charge come up, I am able to instantly reflect on it and go, wait, what am I, what's going on with that? And, and sort of instantly go into my practice of sourcing what that thought is. What is that thought driving my emotion so that I can either act on it because it's correct and it's accurate for me, even though it's in a blind spot, or I can choose a different action, which is more than likely the case when it comes to an emotional response. And so that practice of mindfulness of going, I don't have all of my thoughts in my current view. You know, there's plenty that still reside in my blind spots that I can't see are driving my choices and actions. And so that reflective process within reason, but especially in when it comes to an emotional reaction about something, people say that all the time about you don't necessarily want to respond or speak from an emotional place, that that tends to be outcomes that we don't like, or it tends to be the, the results are suboptimal usually, <laughs> to be kind in my, uh, my verbiage there. Uh, but yeah, it's, and that is a total example of where we have the opportunity to be mindful. Now, obviously we don't wanna walk around and hopefully that we're triggered all the time, but if you're listening, you know what areas or what people or what instances or what whatevers are your triggers. And if you don't, I invite you to do some mindful reflection on that. And then once you see that, you can go, okay, cool. Then you can do further reflection and go, well, cool, why? Why does this trigger me? And again, do the five whys or the 18 whys to get to more of the root thought as to what is going on there. And with that level of mindfulness around our thoughts and mindsets that drive our actions and choices and emotions, we can then actually mindfully choose differently as opposed to taking patterned actions that aren't actually in alignment with who we would choose ourselves to be. Boom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the For other those of you not watching the YouTube video, I am drinking out of a Santa mug today. It's a beautiful <laughs> mug, actually. It's a quite a ridiculous mug. It's, it's as big as cool. my head. I see that. <laughs> <laughs> Self-awareness is another term that's often used as a synonym for mindfulness, right? And the, the words self-awareness, the words refer to awareness, that consciousness state and self, right? So thinking about me, thinking about what I'm doing, thinking about how I'm feeling, thinking about how I'm acting, thinking about how, you know, 
who I am and what, why I am and what I am and where I am and all the who, what, where, why, how stuff, right? And this, there's another piece inside of mindfulness that's not thinking, you know, this flow state. So I wanted to kind of go back to that again a little yes. bit and just touch on it a bit because I'm really working on this right now in myself. And it's such a unique place in motion when we're say running or riding our bike or dancing or swimming or anything where we're doing a moving meditation where there's physical movement of the body happening we can very easily what's a great way to say it is lose our mind mm -hmm. and just it. just be in our action and that's a wonderful experience. And I, and I know, again, every single one of our listeners has had a moment and, and or probably has this in, in some regularity in our lives where when we're playing an instrument or when we're, you know, jogging or when we're skiing or when we're doing some kind of movement, our mind goes away and it's gone. And we're just us with the freedom of all creativity infinitely expanding around us and and our our consciousness is quiet there's no thinking going on there's no self-doubt there's no ego there's no you know double checking of things right it's just perfect right from the beginning all the way to the end and that in movement or in some kind of relationship to the body I find that's where I've ha I've been able to get that for myself very easily. Now, this same flow state can exist in meditation without the movement. In mindfulness to that same freedom of thought, freedom of mind, freedom of ego, just in sitting still and observing ourselves and I, when I start to say that, I have to feel that part of my face smiles a little bit. Like if, <laughs> if I think about what I'm feeling is I feel the corners of my mouth lift a little because I'm enjoying myself because there's a feeling of this feels good happening. And I have that same feeling when I'm in flow state, whether I'm flying um, my body or my wingsuit or my parachute or whether I'm flying my motorcycle or whether I'm playing my instrument or whatever flow is happening at the time. But the what I'm trying to touch on here is that that same experience of mind, being free of mind, doesn't necessarily require the movement of the body. And so this goal of trying to learn how to detach from thought and how to detach from control and how to just be joyously present to self can be learned through these moving meditations and then applied and relearned without the movement. And then what happens is, oh, I'm just happy just being here and this is the big goal like this is for me the big one i'm like oh i'm just great right now without needing to do anything and not feeling like i need to overthink anything or need to be 
double checking anything or need to be afraid of anything. And there's this wonderful balance that comes in, in this practice of mindfulness and this practice of flow. And I've never actually heard it referred to this way. I'm just pulling this out of my ass right here (laughs) and it feels dead on the money. It feels so right on to me that I'm like, wow, I think I'm finally starting to understand this a little bit about what it really means to just have that balance inside of oneself with without having to look or try or yeah 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 i mean for me for sure and i was just just talking about this last night as well the movement the physicality in my life has been critical to my emotional and mental health because it does give your brain a reprieve from the thinking at least mine and to be in this practice now and that's why it's interesting too it's still connected to the body for me because even using sam harris's words for example of of instantly going into and feeling that cloud of sensation that my body is and and letting the edges of my body sort of dissolve you know what i mean so i'm I'm feeling this, this like just energetic that I am like trying to really, and I say trying, but I don't, that word does not apply. It's, you know, you're just in this practice of that. That's for me, what you just described as in being in a still meditation that is still connected to that presence that frees the mind and it's interesting in the practice that i'm in in that it's still starting with the body it's still starting with the body for me and yeah it's it's just so notable for me how much it matters that i have a physical release a physical thing to I don't know I don't want to say like to do because that almost dumbs it down but it's so healthy for me to have that to balance because I don't know about you guys listening but my brain can certainly go crazy town (laughs) in the sense that it thinks a lot you know there's lots of ideas there's lots of you know evidence to support that type of stuff. And when fear tries to take the driver's seat, there's loads of different ways we can interrupt that. And that's one thing I like about the still meditation is that if I end up or I feel like I might be going into a fear cycle or a fear uh, downward spiral, I can interrupt that thought. I can interrupt that thinking by simply taking one moment to connect to the cloud of sensation that is my body. And that may not completely stop the thought or the fear, but the interruption of that might. And that alone is worth a huge, hugely worth that practice to me because that matters. The, the efficiency with which I can redirect or handle fear thinking is a big deal for me. You know, I, I, so many people have said this to me. They're like, oh my God, you're just, you seem fearless. I'm like, oh my God, 
No, not even fucking close, my friends. It's that I've felt a great deal of fear and it's been powerful in my life experience. So I have had to, really it felt critical that I had to really find ways of quelling that as an automatic and learning how to really manage my thoughts and really do and could be committed to the things that work for me to redirect those things. That practice of um, living in fear and being relative to fear with regularity and choosing to have experiences that are going to instigate the fear response and then also choosing to manage that experience and dissolve the emotional state of fear and choose a state that's going to allow for management of self as opposed to choosing the experience of fear. The more that we do, it's like any other practice, right? The more that we do it, the more familiar we become with it, the more, the easier it is to recognize what's happening and to move to a different way of managing ourselves. So I think that, you know, very often people in our community are looked at as thrill seekers. Um, you know, adrenaline junkies is another term. And in some ways that could be looked at as being true, but I really think what is happening in the greater sense is that we tend to be exploring the things that scare us with the intention of doing so in a way where we're going to now uptake an, a, a skill of management of these states of mind, right? Yes. So we're going to force a state of mind to arise, which is an uncomfortable state. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to have to deal with it because our physical world demands it. And now we have to process our, 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 you know, experiential mind, extract ourselves from our mind enough to go, wait, yeah, I feel like I could panic right now, but that's not going to be a valued response. So what do I need to do is I need to lean on my training that I've done in order to respond correctly, in order to ensure that the outcome that's going to follow is going to be the one that we, that I planned and with that, we set up a system for ourselves to be able to manage situations that are challenging. And now that may start with jumping out of planes, but where it's headed is in managing emotional stresses, mm -hmm. right? Yes. For me, at least, I know that what I, why I start putting myself in these challenging environments is not because I want to risk my life. What I want to do is risk my emotional well-being. I want to risk how comfortable I am with being comfortable. Yes. Yeah. I want mm -hmm. to risk being comfortable because when shit gets uncomfortable, I want a skill set. Yeah. To deal with it. I'm <laughs> yes. sick of not having a skill set to deal with it when things get uncomfortable. I want to be trained to have a process to go to for which handles to pull in which order when things start to go awry emotionally. Yeah. And that may be in a relationship. It might be in a random interaction that occurs at some point in our life. It might be with our family. It might be with our work. It might be anywhere. It might and infinitely, inevitably, it's going to be deep within ourselves, right? It's going to be the part of me 
that doesn't like the thing that's happening in my own mind and how in the fuck am I going to deal with it? Am I going to <laughs> reach for a bottle? Am I going to act out aggressively? Am I going to shut down and remove myself from thinking about who I am and what I want and what's important to me? Am I going to, you know, get verbal or am I going to get real quiet? What? How am I going to respond to my own emotions about who I am and why I do the things that I do? And boom, mindfulness. Yeah, it's it's so true. So true. The and that's why I always say how it doesn't have to be skydiving. It can, and that's the the classic life coachy quote of being released on the other side of your fear and all of those things. Like life is on the other side of your comfort zone. It really just implies this this version of growth. This version of growth is really that intentional. I, I actually love that. I mean, it excites me to even think about it. It's this idea of type two fun, for example, where we, and I just learned this term, I'm excited about it, where you, the thing that you're doing is not fun until it's over. <laughs> but I feel like some of the more challenging things, like I think of something like a Spartan race, which I haven't done, but I really want to do. I like the idea of it being teamwork. I like the idea of it being super rigorous and challenging, difficult physically, difficult mentally. I love the idea of doing that for, for exactly the reasons that you just shared, is this idea of putting myself in situations that obviously are not reckless, mindfully chosen, but no, notably will stretch me and my current abilities and my current skills What in, in terms of mental strength and emotional strength. I'm all about that, all about that. Physical skill building tends to include that, is, is also part of it. So, you know, think of that too. So it doesn't have to be like, oh, I have to go into some relational thing. It can be found absolutely in the physical realm. Know, know that your emotional strength and emo emotional skill set is very likely to be challenged inside of that physical learning. So that's a big part of skydiving coaching in my experience is helping people manage their mindsets around how quickly their skills come, how good they want to be and how how soon what that's going to look like and really tapering expectations around a path and allowing for this surrender to the process to the journey ha 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 i mean like every time i say that i'm like shit but it's our it's it's real it's awesome i've really enjoyed talking about this this morning you know it's um i think the more time that each of us puts into this topic. Like at first, it's not very fun. It's it's that type two fun, right? Like the concept of mindfulness when we start to practice, it's like, oh God, oh God, I can see <laughs> I everything I'm doing. Oh no, I see all my things. Uh, I don't exactly. know if I want to do this. Let me go back to being not mindful. I'd like because... to not look at myself now. Can I yeah. take a break from looking at myself? Yeah, because right? shit. <laughs> You know what that is? I'll tell you one thing. Like, I'll just talk about my own psychedelic experience for a minute because there's this um, very common terms of like looking in the mirror while tripping. People are afraid to look in the mirror when they're tripping because they don't like what they're going to see. Right. And so this is really mindfulness at its 
core of like when you look in the mirror, when you're in a heightened state of consciousness and a heightened state of self-awareness and you can see everything that you are, you go, oh, crap. Oh, crap. I see yeah. all the things about me that I don't like. I see all my behaviors. I see all my patterns. I see all the thoughts that I carry around and I see all my ego and I see all the stuff that's just blech, mm-hmm. you know, and I go, oh, crap. Now I got to start purging all that stuff. I got to start yeah. getting rid of that parts of self that are not true me they're not the parts that really shine and that you know are fearless and are beautiful and are self-love and the stuff that we really want to be you know so here's the thing about mindfulness is that it's not I mean I guess ascension would be the definition of the mindfulness in its epitome you know, where we've suddenly are only awareness, you know, we no longer have any of the other parts existing anymore. We may not even exist in this realm, but the reality is for all of us today, for all of us in our lives, no matter how much we pour ourselves into being mindful, there's going to be moments when we're not, and it's okay. It's fine. We don't have to be mindful all the time. You know, I can eat a pizza. Yeah, and it's balanced to that. Totally, being that's that whole balance of everything. Because if we are held to a perfectionist standard around being mindful and around executing on what we see, yeah, terrible. What a terrible life experience to be in. And I laugh about this with my clients a lot because inevitably my clients will do deep, hearty, fuck yeah, work, good work. And I mean that in that they're slogging through their shit. They're slogging through the suffering. They're slogging through what they really need to look at. And they're out in their lives taking actions that are averse to those things they want to transform in themselves in the way the ways that they show up in the world. So that's hard, hard work for most of us. It definitely has been hard, hard work for me. And so inevitably in that process as well, there's also this this kind of funny moment where we're like, oh, can I just have a break from growth? <sighs> you know, like, and it's so real. And yes, you can have a break from growth. You know what I mean? In fact, not only can you, it is super healthy to make sure we have that balance and allow for those rest periods and allow for our humanity. So that's another thing to be mindful of is watching for where we don't allow our humanity and at the same time being mindful of when we use that frame of mind for a loophole to be lazy or to be less than we're capable of being. I was just thinking on that same piece. I was thinking about like, oh, you know what? I can lay off on my, you know, my work. I can lay off on my attention to self and I can like share time with friends, mm-hmm. right? Like what a, what a great example of like a perfect way to to default out of, you know, actioning towards a goal and just being just being present just sharing time with friends with family you know a lot of us have been doing this recently and it's a great way to um to ground ourselves you know but at the same time there's there's other ways of detaching from our are now detaching from our mindful state that maybe aren't as good for us like television right television could be can it can be all right it can be great you know you can put on uh, something that's going to inform you that's going to make you f- 
uh, give you the opportunity to feel in a very wonderful way, but there can also be things that you could put on that are going to completely send you another program. You know, it's literally called a program, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> They're going to send you on a program that are not going to be um, something that's going to continue helping you down your path, even on a subconscious level. Yeah. So I think there's even there's even mindfulness in our practice of stepping out of mindfulness and yeah. how we choose to step out of our out of our mindfulness into yeah. our just presence you know and watching for those those situational triggers like for example it's so i was walking to the train station yesterday and so i'm back on eating well i've committed to eating well and yeah That's i it. had gained you know, eight, 10 pounds or something like that, which is the max I usually will let myself gain. And then I'm like, all right, Curtis, bring it, bring it in. And so I'm in that phase and I've chosen, I feel good about it. And I was walking to the train yesterday to go to New York and it struck me how I got an automatic feeling of sort of excitement because when I'm sort of traveling or out in the world, I almost always would allow myself to get some treat of some kind at Starbucks. And so it's bringing that in and going, oh, I have to dis disassociate. I have to detach those things. So watch for those types of triggers because they're all around where one activity will be married to something else. And because and, we can use that to our benefit also. Right. Like I often use going to the gym as a time to listen to podcasts and to give my brain uh, that kind of break around creating and actually generating content. I give it the that time to consuming content, which is more restful for me, is feels like a reward to me after being engaged in creating throughout the morning, which is my best time of the day usually to create. So yeah. So anyway, it's just it's that type of mindfulness also has been really helpful if you have the goal of elevating your habits to a new place, which I do. I have that goal. And so, again, it's not about being perfect, but it's about going, oh, OK, shit, dog. I can't. When I go to the train station, watch that energy that wants to buy a dark chocolate graham cracker, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So anyway, oh, oh there's so much here. I mean, I feel like there's so much we could talk about as always. But is there any final thoughts you have on this subject, Medir? I, I I would just say one last thing, just as a share for those listeners out there who are kind of toying with this, you know, in the beginning per se. If it's an early concept, it's something that's new. Is it's fun, as much as it might seem daunting and. Um, unpleasant in a lot of ways because of the relative experience of anything new is challenging you know when you try things that are new we never done before we suck at them so yeah. perfect that's what's supposed to be you know like i'm not supposed to be good at french if i've never spoke french before i can't be expected to do it well if i try to hold the conversation it's going to be pathetic you know so don't feel intimidated by the first experiences of mindfulness being overwhelming because we don't have the skill set developed. We haven't done all the work. We haven't done the training. We don't have that inherent skill, that learned skill of how to manage this big process. So start slow, take your time, build a team, start practice, use the tools, 
There's yeah. some great apps out there. There's some great learning. There's so many things we can do. It's and I invite there. on that on that note to I invite you guys all to join the Trust the Journey family. It's a really good good tool. It's a high quality community with people doing this kind of work. So again, it's not like it's a formal thing. It's a really genuine family vibe, community vibe. So it's not anything specific, but you're welcome to share in there and say, hey, I'm working on my mindfulness. I'll let you know next week how I do or whatever. And maybe increase your accountability in that sort of loose way and be supported by people in a similar growth mindset and a similar growth experience. But yeah, so if you do want to join, please do. You are welcome anytime. It's Go to our website, trustthejourney.today, scroll down. There's an orange Patreon button. Donate at any amount, and we'll add you to the private Facebook group. Awesome. All right. So right thank you for being part of the Trust the Journey family. <laughs> we love you so much. We love you so much. Yes. Oh. Anything else? Closing no, thoughts? just the usual. We love you for reals and keep laughing, keep loving, and keep trusting the journey. Have a great day, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>